Welcome to Tube Talk, the show dedicated to helping you become a better video creator so you can get more views, subscribers, and build your audience. Brought to you by vidIQ. Download for free at vidIQ.com. Welcome back to the Tube Talk podcast. My name's Dan, joined as always by Mr. Rob. Hello, Mr. Dan. How are you doing today? I'm fantastic. How are you? I am fan dabby dozy. This is an upgrade from Radiant. Okay, that I just think you're not you're making up words now. I think that's from the Flintstones, isn't it? Uh, Yabba dabba do is from the Flintstones. I don't know what you just said. All right. Well, while you introduce, I'm going to do a search for fan dabby dozy. Where have I got that from? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think you're making up words. No, it, no. Look, um, uh, you can see here that it's been um, auto-populated from Urban Dictionary. You probably yeah. posted this. Catchphrase of Scottish husband and wife duo Ian and Jeanette Tuff, in which they play father and son. Uh, Jimmy Cranky. Yeah, so the Crankies, that is a UK children's program, I think, from the early 1980s. Okay. So you've learned something new there. Fan Dabby Dozy. All I learned is that you, you were watching cartoons in the 1980s. That's that's all. Yeah, that edge that does edge me a little bit. That does edge me a little <laughs> bit. True. Before we get into our guest interview, first things first, we want to thank you for hitting us up on Twitter using the hashtag, hashtag #TubeTalk, and uh, there are a few things to read here. We've got one from the Strong Startup that says highlights from this week's Tube Talk podcast. So they just kind of they listened to the podcast and they they highlighted the two things from the episode which they liked. One was the blocked toilet part that had them crying laughing. <laughs> so keep your tutorials short was what they took away and then apparently i used the word bro at some point which they thought was hilarious but i don't remember saying that which troubles me because i don't want bro to be a part of my natural vocabulary and Come now on, i'm it's, concerned it's every day bro you know it Dan. you know it Dan. it probably uh, is. so this was from a strong startup and if if he could continue to do highlights from every single tube talk we will continue to read them out <laughs> <laughs> great you've been put to work uh, we have one from iCave Dave. Uh, wanted to thank VidIQ and Tube Talk for the shout out. I nearly crashed my car when it happened, but it's much much appreciated. You know, I've heard this phenomenon before uh, on other podcasts where I think they were randomly talking about um, how they'd had near accidents uh, when listening to podcasts. And then on the following episode, they had a deluge of people telling them how uh, by listening to their podcast, I think it was a soccer podcast, uh, they'd been in car crashes and all sorts of things. Like, you know, they'd crash a car, but the podcast will still be playing because the the, um, the radio part of the car was still working. And it's, that just sounds really weird, but this sounds like something that happens, like people having accidents while listening to podcasts. So if you do have any wonderful Tube Talk accident podcast, what? accident stories to tell us, we will read them out in the next episode. Bro. Oh my gosh, I don't want to encourage that at all. In fact, I reached out to IK Dave and told them to please listen responsibly. So, uh... Yeah, nah, please listen <laughs> recklessly. You're going to get us in so much trouble. <laughs> I can't. We can't have this segment anymore. We're going to get canceled really hard. Okay, uh, from Ploppy, really enjoyed this week's tube talk from VidIQ. Great to hear some solid advice and insights into their own highs and lows of content making. Oh, pleasure, thank you so much. Pleasure. And we'll not read this out. Um, go racing. Continue to talk about an entirely random version of tube talk, which is something else. And he continues to use and abuse our hashtag. So please go racing. Stop using hashtag tube talk to talk about your <laughs> tube talk thing. It's not on, even though I think you were first. 
I'm I'm sure it's a great show. So thank you for your tweets. Uh, we have some YouTube news to discuss, Rob. I have to ask you a very serious question. Are thumbnails on YouTube dead? No. Mark Robinson, Mark, Mark Robertson, the tweet you posted today is inaccurate. Thumbnails are not dead. Well, he didn't specifically say they were dead, <laughs> but Mark feels that they are, the days are numbered for thumbnails. And I can see from reading this blog why someone might be a little bit scared of that. Or yeah, should we, encouraged. Should we like read them. out, first of all, what it says in the blog, just to get the factual bits part of a, out of the way here? So, yeah, this is coming from the YouTube blog itself. So if you want to read the full story, check out the YouTube blog. But uh, go ahead. It says, making searches more visual. People told us that they'd like easier ways to see what a video is about on YouTube before diving into it, the actual content. We heard you. That's why we've started to make our search page even more visual to help people get a better glimpse of what's inside a video. Up until now, when you browse for a video to watch on YouTube, you'd see a thumbnail image of each video. If you, it gave you a chance to gather a quick snapshot of a video's content. Now you'll be able to make e an even more informed decision about what you're going to watch through a video chapters directly in the search page. I'm really not reading this out very well. Sorry. <laughs> you should probably should <laughs> read the whole thing anyway. I've got, I've got all the intonation wrong and everything. When available, these timestamp images detail the different topics covered in videos and let you better evaluate the video about on what you're about to watch. You can also jump directly into the section most relevant to your specific interest. Uh, so I so think that's enough of a, of a reading out there, isn't it? Yeah, this is in search now. So if you're searching for a topic and you're scrolling through videos, the, they have some GIFs here and it's all on mobile, but... The video starts to autoplay, which some people out there may be kind of familiar with, and captions will be there and everything. You won't hear yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And then now, underneath that, are all of the chapters. If the video has chapters, you can kind of swipe to the side and see all different chapters and jump to the part of the video before yes. you even entered the content itself. So um, the video autoplaying, as you said, I think is something that's now familiar to most users of even mobile app and has been around for, I'd say, at least a year, if not a couple but the addition of uh, timestamps is very significant because we've seen what this does to a Google search page mm -hmm. in that if your video is a top-ranked video for a search term on Google, it will automatically place the timestamps there as well, which means that it gives you a lot more screen real estate. So it's much more likely that a viewer is going to choose your video over something that doesn't have timestamps. To coincide with this, YouTube did announce, I think about a month ago, that they're now starting to add automatic time chapters to videos. I myself, I think I've only seen this once on a video where somebody's not added timestamps and YouTube's figured them out automatically. And that's really interesting in itself because it was actually setting the timestamps through text that it could see on screen, which oh. I thought was really interesting. But I need to do more research into that before I make more informed opinions on that. But again, I think this just reinforces, Dan, that if you want viewers to know exactly what your video is about at each section of a video, you should be adding timestamps because they're now going to appear on screen. And when you think about how little screen space you have on a mobile phone, I think a thumbnail plus timestamps is going to consume almost half of a screen, if not more. So if you get to the top of the search rankings, that's just going to multiply your click-through rate, I would have thought. 
So the way they're showing it is as you scroll, if the video has chapters, they're truncated. So you basically just see the first chapter and then you can toggle down and see the rest yeah. of them, which is pretty cool. Uh, I've been trying to remind people that when they make chapters for a video, you should be making these searchable in, in every way you can. So you can basically make a video that covers a whole bunch of different things. And then you want your chapter to kind of stand on its own as a search term. And that's going to give it the most clarity. If it shows up in Google search, for example, Google will point to that specific chapter. If it shows up now on YouTube, the viewer will know that they're in the right place because they'll see, oh, chapter two is that exact thing that I'm looking for. Great. So you want to be very aware of what you're putting in those chapters. I think they're also going to do more uh, translations as well, it looks like here. Uh, we're starting to show search results from other languages with automatic uh, translated captions, titles, and descriptions when relevant, when the local language isn't available. Um, I think that's all right, but I mean, even I'd still think me as a viewer would be not satisfied if I was giving a, if I was given a caption translated video, you would expect to find a decent video in your native language. I think for most YouTube users at this point. So this is why we have our fully translated Spanish and Russian channels. But again, it's more accessibility uh, for the viewer and YouTube is just trying to help every way it can, which is always good to see. Absolutely. I, I think one of the other things that this kind of reminded me of is how important those first frames in your video actually are. Not just your thumbnail, but the thing yeah. that's happening on the screen. If you're a, like a, an entertainment channel of some kind, like you've noticed a lot of channels these days are putting in big text on, on the screen, captioned to what they're saying with a lot of different action going on as the video in the first few seconds of the video as it's starting. And there's other channels out there like gaming channels for example a habit a lot of new gaming channels make is they they like to just talk at first and so they'll have the menu screen of the game up before enough anything's happened they're just sitting there hey welcome to my video blah 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 like videos like that are going to become pushed down in search more and more and more as as people get more creative with how they open up a video and now that more videos on mobile are starting before you even have a chance to click on them, I think all of those things are going to play into the overall clickability of any video on YouTube. I have been starting to use a term, which is a terrible term, and it needs to be rephrased, um, but it's currently <laughs> called YouTube CEO, and that's not about C Susan. It's about content engine optimization. So mm. not just the title, the descriptions, and the tags. It's now about what's visually on the thumbnail, and as you've now stressed, Dan, what's visually included in the video itself, because YouTube apparently now is looking more and more at the actual content of the video and trying to use that information to help sur surface it to the right audience. Yep. And I've seen already when I do searches, albeit in very isolated moments so far, that I, I search for something and then... YouTube shows me the results and it says, I'm showing you this result because I detected text within the video, which it's still mind boggling to me that YouTube is doing that. Um, so I think we'll just see that more and more uh, in the years to come. Uh, yeah, definitely. I've also noticed lately that when I upload a video, the YouTube automated like thumbnail selection, you know, you get your three choices before you've uploaded your own thumbnail. 
Yeah. And the one in the middle is usually the one it goes with automatically. That one in the middle has been better and better and better as years have gone on. Okay. I've noticed now that sometimes I rethink my thumbnail based on that image. So right. all of this to say YouTube's AI is just getting smarter and smarter. And I'm excited. I think that's oh, awesome. I'm so excited. <laughs> Robots. Uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and welcome today's guest, who's actually a colleague of ours here at VidIQ. Uh, it is Jeff, a.k.a. El Jefe Reviews. Let's get into it. Yes. Jeff, thank you so much for joining us on Tube Talk. How are you? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? We are fantastic. I'm fantastic. And uh, I, I just know Rob is good because every time I ask, he says he's good. Yeah, you can speak on my behalf, Dan. I am fantastic. That's Yep. I decided to uh, just go ahead and do that. <laughs> uh, so, Jeff, for anyone who doesn't know, tell tell them a little bit about you and what you do on YouTube. Uh, so my name is Jeff and, uh, my channel is called El Jefe Reviews. And what I basically do on YouTube is personal audio. So, uh, headphones, earbuds, speakers, things of that nature, quote unquote, technically a tech channel, but it is niched into specifically audio. And then once again, specifically into personal audio. So a niche within a niche, within a niche, <laughs> within basically. a niche, yep. a niche within a niche, within a niche, within a niche, a niche. That's right. Is there a difference between niche and niche, or is it just the way people say it? Pronunciation. You say tomato, I say... I, you say tomato, I say potato. It's just one of those things. It is. Okay. Good. Because those are two of the same things. So I'm glad we're clear on that. So yes, you you cover a very fine niche, which is what we want to talk about today, because a lot of channels out there, that's the advice we give them, right? Yeah. You, you want to niche down. You want to make sure your channel is focused. Let me just ask you this. What were the early days like? for uh, El Jefe reviews, but you you weren't always doing, uh, you know, personal audio, were you? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So basically the early days, um, I knew I wanted to do YouTube and I knew I wanted to be a tech channel, but I did not have focus. And I was doing basically what we tell a lot of channels within just starting out. That was the advice that I was listening to was you know, hey, man, just, you know, review or talk about the stuff that you're getting or whatever you have, you know, around your house, any of your gadgets. And I was that guy, and quote, still am, even worse probably now than ever before, uh, who I was always buying stuff. So I was always getting stuff on Amazon anyway. I was reviewing them on Amazon. So I was like, you know what, let me, I got this new battery pack. Let me go ahead and drop a review. I just got this new dash cam. Let me drop a review. So whatever it was that came in, I would make a video about it. But that kind of lack of focus was not really getting me anywhere um so it, it took me some figuring out and talking to the right people to really start figuring out exactly where i needed to go what i needed to do jeff what was the most obscure thing that you reviewed in your early days oh i would probably say i don't know how if it's obscure but the thing that was the furthest out of my niche was a set of um it was a custom lego set of uh Canada's bike from Akira from the movie Akira. So it's a, you know, I don't know if you guys saw, it, but it's an anime movie from yep. back in like 1989 or something, but it was a custom set. So I did a, I did a video on it, which is now enlisted because it's completely out of, out of niche. But, um, that was probably the most like off non tech thing I did on my channel. So what compelled you to make a video on that? Was it because, Ooh, I've got something a little unusual and original here. YouTube might be interested in it without necessarily thinking whether or not your audience specifically might be interested in it. Correct. Yeah. At the time I wasn't paying too much attention to that, but the, the funny thing is at the time 
the video actually was one of the, my best performing videos at that time, because what happened was when I put up that video was about a week after the designers of that set had released their book. So there was a lot of hype around it, which I really didn't realize until later on when I was dissecting why this video even did as good as it did for a channel with like 300 subscribers or something. It had like 15,000 views or something. Oh, so were you ever close to thinking, uh, oh, hang on here. I've had a, a viral moment for my channel. Should I steer towards anime Lego builds? Or were you thinking, okay, I've done that now. I'll just move on to the next thing. Oh, hang on. Why is my review about this battery charger for a, uh, the, let's see, the Nokia, what was it? The, what, whatever, a random phone that was out four or five years ago, you know, a Samsung yeah. S7. Why is this review not? Why are people who watch my Lego video not interested in this battery review? I don't understand it. Yeah, that's basically, I mean, I didn't think about it too much back then because, for me back then, getting 10 views on a video, I was like excited. <laughs> yeah, if I yeah. got 10 views, I was super excited. If I got 50 views, oh my God. And if I broke 100 views, I assumed my video was going viral. So that's a, that, that was about my knowledge level of what YouTube analytics and, and all that at that time. So I did not overthink it. It was more, I was more focused, like very laser focused on consistently pumping out content minimum one to two times per week. That was my biggest goal. Whatever it was, I was going to drop a video. I remember getting out of the hospital one time and being in like terrible pain and being not feeling good. And it was like Tuesday morning when I got out of the hospital, been there for three days. And I was like, I got to record a video. So I'm setting up my phone <laughs> and I'm doing this video and you can hear it in my voice. Like I'm so out of it. Like it's just not good. And I still got that video out. It was because I was proving a point to myself. Like I, I, I had made that promise when I first started the channel that I wanted to make a video, one video per week for at least a year. That's, that's where I was there. So I was more focused on just getting the videos out and not so much focused on what the topic or the title or any of that stuff. I apologize, listeners, now uh, for the following <laughs> explicit thought that's coming to my head. But I'm just imagining Jeff coming out of the hospital and he's filming and it's like, oh, no, my stitching has come out. <laughs> <laughs> But still recording. Jeez, right. <laughs> I was I was still in the gown and everything, man. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was for it was for something else. But I was just really I was really sure. out of it. I came I came home from a really a bad. Uh, we had a vacation that went that I got sick during the vacation, so it was really bad when I got home. I I'm going to turn this around before it gets any more dark. Uh, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> let's let's go ahead and uh, talk about your your content again. Sure. Uh, you. You kind of were doing anything it took to get a video out every single week, which I think a lot of creators, especially newer ones, can relate to that. I can certainly relate to that. I told myself I was going to do this. I'm building this audience. I told them I'm going to do it. I'm getting a video out. It doesn't even necessarily matter what it's about. This is my channel anyway, so I'm just going to be me. And, you know, while that I, can, I think there could be a lot of fun and engaging for the folks who are following you and who are getting to know you as a person for the most part when you're trying to grow the channel that's where things kind of get complicated so what i wanted to ask though was what was the light bulb moment like when did you realize like okay headphones personal audio like this is the answer because i have tried all these things like what was it for you that finally clicked and then you decided i'm gonna go all in on this one thing it was views and engagement on that particular type of video. So when I did my first, I believe it was my first headphone video, it outperformed my other content. Um, 
you know, where like, if I was lucky to get 50 or 60 views on a video, this headphone video was pushing 300, 400, 500 views. And then when maybe two videos later, I did a set of earbuds that had just been released. That video ended up pushing, I think it was like a thousand in the first week. And in, it, for the longest time, it was my most viewed video, but I had noticed a pattern there. And so like maybe two videos later had another set of earbuds. I think it was, I did that video. And once again, it was, you know, 500, 600% performance over my other battery banks or USB cables or whatever it might have been. And that's when I started sort of noticing, I'm like, every time I do these headphone videos, you know, this is, this works better. And that's when I started reaching out and asking people, you know, education, people in the education space, Hey, you know, what should I do? And started having people audit my channel and started asking questions and really trying to learn more about which way I should go, because I was hoping that it would have been audio because I was very much into it on my own, but I, I figured that I had to be talking about everything. I thought general, general tech was the way to go until somebody sort of educated me and let me know that, Hey, that's not it. You need to laser focus on a niche. And if you can find a niche within that niche, then that's really going to be where you're going to find your people. And, um, that was really where that started to happen was just seeing these videos when I would do them on headphones or earbuds, where it was exponentially more views, more engagement on top of that. So, and it were more fun for me to do too. So would you say, Jeff, that it's a happy coincidence that the YouTube recommendation system started aligning you with wearable tech slash earbuds because that was of a particular passion of yours within technology? Or would you still have preferred to have maybe covered smartphone reviews or, or something else? No, it's it's definitely a happy coincidence right. because it's something that I really like. At the time when I was doing it, there was not that many. It was yeah. co- The stuff was covered by general tech channels who do a lot of mobile technology, but none of them were hyper-focused on it. There was, at the time, I think there was maybe three of us, maybe four, um, back in 2017, 2018. Um, now there's you know 40 or 50, but at the time, there was not that many people in the space, so um, it wor- it worked out pretty well that way. Yeah, the only reason I asked that is because I myself, in another life, was was a tech channel. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I started to find traction with a very particular type of tutorial, which was helping people record their iPhone screens at the time, the YouTube recommendation systems really started to push that content. So although you know I have a great interest in tech, I never realized I would become YouTube's teacher for a you know one or two years on that particular topic. And ideally, I would have liked to have covered other tech on the channel, which I occasionally did, but it always went back to this thing that I knew I was good at, but wasn't necessarily my true passion. It was in my area of passion, but not exactly. But it sounds like, you know, the YouTube stars aligned for you uh, with, with wearable tech. Yeah, I mean, it always it could always perform better, but I believe that there's a, a ceiling to what I'm doing. But either way, I'm really happy with it because of the strength of the community that has gathered around my channel over the past four years. So even though I don't have like the most incredible metrics, right? You know, the channel's yeah, yeah. close to 60,000. We're doing good, you know, good, healthy views on the channel. It would be great if I was already over 100,000. But the the beauty of it is that it's a very highly engaged and uh, highly positive community which I, I highly appreciate. And on top of that, on the business side of it, it's very high conversion. 
So when, when I speak to my audience because of the trust that we've built with each other, when I say something, Hey, yeah, this is very good. You know, they go and buy that stuff. So Ah. it's a win-win for everybody because it's, it's a good day, obviously a good day for the brands, but that's neither here nor there, but it's a good day for me. And it's a good day for the viewer because they're getting something that they really like. They're getting good, you know, good technology for their money. This episode of Tube Talk is brought to you by vidIQ's trend alerts tool. Think Google alerts, but specifically for YouTube trends. This tool is great for planning your next video as it helps you stay on top of trending topics within your niche. Provided you have vidIQ installed on your Chrome or Firefox browser, you'll find it on the left-hand sidebar the next time you're in your YouTube studio. Once there, you can create an alert and enter keywords for it and set the parameters. So for example, I could have a channel that covers iPhones, and I may want an alert that includes things like iPhone, iPhone 12, or even Apple event. Then I can set up my alert to email me whenever a new video hits, say, 500, 1,000, or even 10,000 views an hour. So if suddenly I get an email and see 20 new videos all talking about iPhone 27 rumors, and they're all each getting about 500 views an hour, I know that something's probably going down and I had better hit record. The Trend Alerts tool is free when you sign up with vidIQ, so visit vidIQ.com, install the extension, and start creating trend alerts today. How do you cover one thing? How do you how do you take a channel as like go from tech and you you niche down to this one thing? I'm I'm trying to tap into the mind of somebody who might be listening, thinking like I I am a, an aspiring tech YouTuber, but I don't know how I could just cover computer mice, for example. But mm-hmm. that that's the equivalent of what we're talking about here. You could do a whole channel, but because you're the proof that you can do this, you could do a yeah. whole channel about keyboards. You could do a whole channel about you know headphones, computer mice, whatever it is. I guess you did mention a low ceiling, but other than that, how's it going for you? Like, do you, do you find you have this endless well of content or are you struggling? Are, are there times where you're like, there's only so many pairs of headphones and I've reviewed all of them. No, there, there has been a, the way I describe it to people, especially people who, who are trying to get into what, what I'm doing, specifically audio as well. There has been a tidal wave of a, a tsunami, if you will, of, wireless headphones earbuds true wireless since 2016 2017 and it has not slowed down i mean even the chip shortage barely made a dent in in what's going on here so because a lot of these manufacturers from overseas are not using the big name chip manufacturers they're using alternative brands so it's something that there's it's overabundance if anything i have too much work um, there, there's so many products. There are so many new ones coming out. Even the established brands are continuing to drop more. Um, so yeah, it, it's literally an endless well of content for me. My only struggle is time. And then the struggle of also making sure that I pick the stuff that is not only a good fit for my channel, a good fit for my audience, but also stuff that has at least some searchability and some traffic behind it to make sure that it's, um, you know, worth my time and effort. I don't want to just bring in any old random set of headphones that have no traffic or anything around it and put it on my channel because there's that's too much time invested for for that to happen it's just i just can't do it but yeah there is literally i have no lack of ideas uh, there's no lack of work the beauty of it is the names change but the keyword always stays the same mm-hmm. so the keyword is true wireless earbuds but the name changes in front of it so it can be you know samsung galaxy buds or A- apple airpods or whatever it might be but the keyword after that is always true wireless earbuds or true wireless. And it just, so I'm just literally hitting that same nail over and over and over and over. 
and uh, establishing, you know, at least some sort of authority in this space. Lemon question, why true wireless? Um, what does the true aspects mean? No wires. So there's, so there's wireless earbuds that are called wireless, but they have a wire that goes in between them. Right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Because I those came out actually. first. I prefer yeah. them because they don't fall out of your ears as much. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that's that, here's the here's the funny part is when people ask me that or when they say, "Well, what do you prefer?" and I tell them, we, I call them neck bands, and yeah. I said I prefer neck bands, and they're like, "What?" Yeah. But you all you ever talk about it is true wireless. And I'm like, that's because that's all you guys care about. <laughs> <laughs> so I make it a point to introduce them to people when they say, "Oh, like what would you suggest?" You know, I get them like, "Are you open to neck bands?" And they're like, "Yeah," and I'm like, "Well, let me show you these amazing options." Battery life is better. Sound quality normally better because the problem with true wireless is there's a lot of compromise involved in that. To get something so small, they have to package it into this tiny package. So there's a lot of battery compromise, microphone compromise. But when you have something with a neckband, they have so much more space that they don't have to make all those compromises. So you get a better product overall. But I digress. But that's that's why I prefer them. I think it's high time you made a video titled, I Hate True Wireless Earbuds. Just to completely <laughs> alienate your entire audience. Before I forget, uh, something that is, uh, I've realized here as we're having this discussion is that in terms of the stars aligning for your channel, there's a, a seasonality question here, which I think has probably really helped your channel. So I just want to try and get some context here. When did Apple AirPods first get released? Uh, I believe it was late 2016. Don't quote me, but I believe it was somewhere around 2016. And your channel, I think, started in about 2017, is that 2017, right? 2017, yes. So this was just as Apple was, as usual, transforming the landscape of a, of a tech area. Correct. And so you, 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 I guess you were one of the early uh, adopters right. for focusing on that type of topic, uh, content. And, and here's the funny thing, is that I didn't even get a set of AirPods. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was, that was, I that was the funny part. Yeah. yeah. I, went to, I went for the alternative options to AirPods. And that first year was bad. Like 2017 was bad for that technology. So I was the, my first initial, I think my first four videos on true wireless earbuds were negative reviews because they were not good. So, but it, things turned around in 2018. And ever since then, it's been, uh, the, the foot has been, you know, the pedal to the metal is what it's been. So. I want to get a little bit into the financial aspects of your channel. I'm not I'm not sure. asking specifically like, oh, how much do you make on YouTube? But what I would like to know is when you got started, there must have been some upfront costs, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and and I do want to talk a little bit about where you're at now versus then. But just starting starting here, what was it like to start this tech channel? And uh, I'm assuming straight up purchase you know, an unknown amount of earbuds. You didn't know when this would kind of come back. You're just kind of buying the stuff, reviewing it and, and crossing your fingers. What what was that whole process like? Take us through that. Well, I mean, for me at the time, I was already spending the money. Mm-hmm. So there was like for like, I had, I was budgeting, you know, every, mind you, this is before YouTube. I was setting aside money. Every time I got paid, I wanted to get something. I didn't care what it was. It just made me happy to order something go to Best Buy and pick something up, just something. I wanted to give myself something. All the two weeks of hard work, busting my butt, I wanted to reward myself. So I was already doing this anyway. So that's kind of how that begun or had begun. But yeah, I mean, you're definitely in the red. You know, when I started doing the channel, I was buying more, 
now than ever before um, to kind of get things off the ground. So that's something where I don't recommend it for people who maybe don't have the expendable income to do so. I was, you know, blessed that I had, you know, enough, like where I, I think I budgeted myself to like a max of like 50 or a hundred bucks, you know, every week or every other week to, uh, or every payday, basically every two weeks to buy myself something so that I could review it on the channel or I'll buy two things for a hundred bucks. And then I could have two weeks worth of content, but that's really how it was for me. And I know a lot of tech channels are the ones that are up and coming are having to do the same thing, at least until you put up enough content and you sort of start building up that portfolio of work of you have enough videos and reviews on a channel to where you begin getting the attention of, you know, Amazon vendors and AliExpress vendors. And a lot of them want to start sending you stuff for free. So, but that's sort of how it is at first. Um, you will, you know, inevitably be in the hole. Thankfully, uh, one thing that I didn't end up going into debt over was camera gear for the channel. Um, once I learned that I did not have to spend a bunch of money to start a YouTube channel that I could just use my cell phone and natural light, it was, I was off to the races. So, um, that was, uh, one of the things where if you're going to be spending money on tech, just make sure you use your phone to start. Don't, don't go buy a DSLR or all that stuff. Um, let, let your channel pay for that. That's what I did. Um, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about that. I think yeah. your channel is well known for, its quality. And I think many tech channels do have to present a certain level of quality in terms of video footage, audio, et cetera, et cetera. And you keep telling me, um, Jeff, uh, all you need to do is buy an old Pixel 2 or Pixel 3 uh, that's going to be more than adequate for taking taking uh, photos. And then I mean, I mean, maybe another smartphone with a def decent video camera to do B-roll. Just to, I mean, talk, talk us through that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, I mean, the the channel, just to be clear, I, I grew my channel to, I can't remember exactly, but it was somewhere between fifteen and 20,000 subscribers with using my cell phone for all the video work. So for all of the me on camera talking head stuff and all of the B-roll. You know, for for thumbnails, you can definitely use your phone. You can do all of this. Like I have, a, I have another friend whose name is Josh, uh, who has an awesome channel as well, and he grew, I think, to almost forty thousand with not only shooting his videos but also editing w on the phone, which is incredibly yeah. tedious. Yeah, yeah. So, why well, I, I didn't do that? Just to, just to be clear, he did. I I did it a few times, and now I was like, this is not for me. It I'm makes gonna... me shudder when yeah. anybody tells me this, but. Yeah, oh, they're, they're, they're producing good stuff. I mean, yeah. we know Travis does it, and uh, yeah, he yeah. produces quality footage. For for anyone out there, Travis is one of our colleagues here at uh, VidIQ. Yeah. Uh, we we talked to Jonk recently, and and he actually animates on yeah. his phone. Everything he does is is on his phone. Yeah, when he told me that, I was just, uh, or actually, no, I was listening to to the conversation with Jonk, and he said he was doing it on his phone. I was like, I was floored because you hear about that stuff. And you'd be amazed at the kind of content, or at least the amount of successful people that make content with with just their mobile devices. Um, you know, I shoot my videos now with a DSLR, but I still edit on an iPad. It's it's much for my workflow. I used to edit on PC, but editing on an iPad is so much faster for me. Not just the the export speeds, which are awesome but overall just the interface and everything my videos are simple so i don't need anything super advanced i don't need premiere pro or anything like that but it's something that that definitely works but some of the stuff i've seen not just junk there was a, a customer that i spoke with um who is growing a channel super fast you know in the uh he's in the five digits i think he's close to forty thousand subs now but they're pulling in massive views and 
he makes videos, takes him 30 minutes on his phone. And, you know, he's, he's getting, you know, tens, you know, 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 views on a video and it's all done on his phone. So it's, it's one of those things where I always tell people that, because that's the mistake I made. I would have started my channel sooner had I realized that I did not need a ton of expensive gear. I didn't need expensive lights, expensive mics, um, you know, cameras, the whole thing to get started. You know, I'm, I'm just glad that I was able to see someone else do it, heard another creator mention that that's what they were doing. And that really set me off. As soon as I heard this guy say that, uh, I, I was off to the races because I had my idea to start my channel in like 2015. And it was, I believe it was February or March of 2017 when I heard uh, this creator say, yeah, I shoot all my videos and I edit everything on the phone. He was using like an LG G5 or something. And I was like, what are you serious? And then two months later, I started my channel. I had a Galaxy S7 and I was like, I'm, I'm doing this. So I assume um, when you're talking about editing on an iPad, uh, Jeff, you're another one of these LumaFusion disciples. Yes. Yeah. That that's the the most typical app I hear creators using, who yeah. you, who, who use a, an iOS device, yeah. Luma Fusion because it's in it like thirty dollars and there's no um, subscription, so it's relatively yeah. cheap as well. Yeah, it's a one time fee. When I got it, it was when they were doing, um, they had a Christmas sale at the end of 2019, so it was twenty bucks. So I paid twenty bucks for it, and you know I've moved it from. From my iPhone over to my first iPad, then to the second one. Now it's on the third one. I've never had to buy it again. I've never had to pay for it again. Now we're on, I believe, the the third iteration of LumaFusion. Now we can edit directly off of SSDs. Uh, we have external monitor support. So there's like it's now there's graphic EQ if you want to edit your audio. So there's they're definitely making upgrades. It's it's already honestly more powerful than what I need it for. Yeah. But um, it's it's nice to see, and it like I said, it it works so well for me. You, you have a lot of elements in your videos too, right? I mean, you, you incorporate B-roll and, and yeah. all sorts of things. Yeah, it's just I try to keep them simple. But yeah, the B-roll shots are the ones that take up the most time. Like that's what I'll be doing this evening for the most of the evening into the late night. So, but it's it's just about making sure that the story makes sense, you know, trying to illustrate points, things that I'm talking about to keep it fresh for people. Right. So another thing I noticed about your channel is that you have incorporated live streams into your schedule now. When when did that start and and how is that going? I, I think a lot of creators may may imagine or like that must be kind of difficult. You you're a headphone review channel. Where do live streams come in? Yeah. No, for sure. So um I think I don't remember exactly when I did my first ones. It was a while back and I used to have a really hard time. I wanted a live stream forever, but when I first started the channel where I used to live, our internet was really bad. And I was not, I didn't have enough upload speed in order to go live. It just mm. was not strong enough. And then uh, when we finally moved in 2018, um, I was able to finally start going live and doing live streams. Um, so I think I was just doing them randomly. I hadn't set up anything specific, no date and time, no actual topics, nothing like that. It was just a live Q&A with El Jefe and just doing, having fun, hanging out with the community and stuff. It was, I believe sometime in 2020, um, if not earlier this year, where I really started taking it a bit more seriously, where I set up a, a date and time and said, hey, Sundays, 3 p.m. Pacific, you know, we're going to do the El Jefe live show. Sometimes it's just a Q&A. But lately, I've been doing this streaming with a purpose type of thing where I record a video within the live stream. And then when the live stream ends, I 
I'll use the YouTube editor to cut off the intro and to cut off everything afterwards so that there's a standalone video made within there. And the replay value of those is much higher. I think my most successful one that I did that way, it's a, it's a, you know, section of a live stream has like 40,000 views now. Wow. So good thumbnail, good title, good topic. It hits right away and uh, it, it worked out really well. So let me just get this, get this right. So you, you pre-prepare a video mm-hmm. and then during a live stream, you play this pre-recording. No, 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 you... no, no, no. So I, I literally will just like, so let's say we're, we're doing my live stream. I'm going through and I'm saying what's up to everyone. And then all of a sudden what I'll do is this, I'll explain. It's like, okay, guys. So for the next couple of minutes, I'm going to talk about the topic of the title of this live stream, but I'm not going to respond to any comments in that time. Oh, but yeah. once we're done, we'll go back into live Q and a, and then I'll have sort of like a pre-prepared script and I'll yes. go through all of that. And then I'll just kind of go run through it and then that's it. And they work really well, even without the B roll, which to me is amazing. Mm-hmm. So, but I've, I've, I'm actually setting something up in Streamyard where I'll be able to show clips while I'm doing that section of it um, to yeah. kind of make it more lively for the replay uh, audience. Do you trim down the live stream afterwards then to that prepared section? Yeah, yeah. For the most that's, part. Yeah. Yeah. I think. I guess that's interesting because I guess what would happen is that let's say you did that and let's say the live stream was an hour, mm-hmm. but the, the, the pre-recorded bit, and I'm sorry, Jeff, if, if yours is slightly different to what I'm saying here, but let's say the, not the pre-recorded bit, but the pre-prepared bit is five minutes. Right. So you get an hour's live stream, which means that you get tons of watch time to begin with. And then you trim it down to a five minute video at the end of it. Right. I'm curious as to how the, um, the signals for that are sent to YouTube in terms of, hey, hang on, this video's got, you know, 12 minutes average watch duration because it was a one hour live stream. But now the video is actually five minutes long. Yeah. I don't <laughs> Does know. Does that mean I, it's getting 300% watch time or something? Yeah. I mean, I haven't seen any wild numbers in the, in the analytics right, yeah, on it, yeah, yeah. but it's like some of them have been very successful. Like the one I did last weekend is already over 5,000 views on replay. So, and it's still climbing up. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm, when I'm approaching these live streams, I'm making the full, full thumbnail, full titling, you know, like I would for a video thumbnail and title for a video, but the show is essentially three stories. It's almost like a news show where I'm picking three stories and the trendiest one, the one that has the most traffic, the most popular story, that's the one where I'm going to do the pre-recorded section. And that's what's going to live on afterwards. And then I've also made it very clear to my audience that if they want to be a part of the intro, if they want to be a part of the whole live Q&A, they got to show up because once the show's over, there's not going to be much of a replay for them. It's just going to be a replay for that story. That's really interesting. It's really interesting to to hear. So you have the opportunity to live stream, but it doesn't eat into your content schedule per se, like the schedule you physically have to record videos and, and make content. You, right. It's, it's kind of like you get to have your cake and eat it too. Both. Yeah. What, what it's allowing me to do is turning it from having one upload per week and then an additional live stream to where I'm now getting to do the one upload per week plus the live stream plus out of that live stream, I'm pulling a second piece of content. Yeah. Uh, so I did want to go back to the, the some of the financial questions sure. I had, the more business related questions. So you started out buying the headphones. Now you're at a point where they're getting sent to you. Right. Uh, that, that actually raises a lot of questions for me. First of all, are there are there any times where you get headphones sent to you 
that you don't want that you're just not interested in reviewing. <laughs> yeah, so that happens. It's it's usually with companies who have sent me products before, mm-hmm. um, so they already have my shipping address, so they'll just send them, <laughs> and it, it kind of it, it it creates kind of a, a weird, an awkward situation because if I don't agree to it, and I and I've told the, them this before, and usually the ones that end up doing this, I say, hey, if you send me something without us agreeing to it beforehand, don't expect me to make a video. Um, because that's what, that's what's happened. There was some time where they were shipping products to my old address and then they, you know, I get this random email like, Hey, we shipped you this stuff, you know, a month ago and you never dropped a video. And I'm like, wait, hold on. What are you talking about? And Mm -hmm. I said, at first of all, I've never received anything. And secondly, I've never agreed to anything. You never contacted me and said, you're going to send anything like, Oh, I thought we could just send it to you and you would make a video. I'm like, well, first, that's not how this works. And secondly, you need to let me know, but I don't even know where you sent this stuff. So, um, th- but that does happen. Even, even where, I'm, where I'm at now, some of the companies that I work with will just, they'll just send me stuff. And I'm like, okay, cool. Thankfully now with the ones that I work with on a regular basis, I know where we stand. Like if they, if there, if there's something that they want me to review, then they will ask and say, Hey, you know, are you able to fit this into your schedule? Otherwise enjoy it. You know, stuff like that. Like, uh, one of the ones recently was, uh, our friends over at anchor where I don't review vacuum cleaners, but they sent me two of them. They sent me a robot vacuum and then they sent me like a, a handheld. And I was like, I, I, so I, kind of was like, Hey, I don't, uh, I don't review vacuums, man. And, and, uh, but they're totally cool about it. So it's, it's really, you know, they'll do stuff like that. Or they sent me like, I, I rarely ever do speakers nowadays, but they sent me the speaker and I don't plan on putting it on my channel. It's an amazing speaker though. And I highly recommend it, but it's one of those things where, um, Sometimes they'll send me stuff where I'm not necessarily looking for it. Um, so that happens, but it'll, it'll, it'll make a nice gift for one of my friends. I'm wondering if there's like um, hundreds of people around the US who've moved into the former properties of tech YouTubers <laughs> who are just reveling in all of this. Well, the, the, the hundreds of uh, Chinese Bluetooth speakers that are often sent to tech channels. Yeah. And in, um, in Jeff's case, Somebody's probably opened up their own little true wireless e- earbuds um, eBay store. Oh, yeah. oh, absolutely. The the place that I used to, my, my former employer, products keep arriving there. And nice. I, I the, the people who bring them in are the security guards. And I told the head of security, I said, hey, dude, we were really cool for the you know six years that I was there. And I told him, hey, man, you know what? Anything comes in with my name on it, crack it open. Knock yourself out. <laughs> cool. And I was like, anybody who sends me stuff now without checking first, have at it. So, Shout out to the Jeff's former security guard. Yeah, that guy's rolling in tech. I'll tell you that much. So. <laughs> yeah, they're going to start a competing YouTube channel. <laughs> That's going to be hilarious. But yeah, no, so I know they're getting stuff for sure because there's been times like there was a there was one time where um, LG, I don't have a problem even saying this, where they had offered me these portable speakers like they were like this big and like, hey, we want you to review these speakers. And I'm like, all right, cool. And they said, hey, we've also got these like really like massive speakers. Are you interested in those? And I said, nah, I'm not really interested. Those are like a, for DJ and a party. It's, mm-hmm. you know, the whole huge, huge thing. And I was like, ah, I'm going to pass on that. I don't need anything that big. I don't have that kind of space. And then a week later, two of those massive speakers arrived. Oh, no. At, at, my, at my former job. And I'm like, what? What, is, what are you doing? So I emailed them like, oh, my mistake. We thought that you had said yes. And I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> so it was, yeah, it was one of those things where now I could just imagine if they were just sending stuff out like that, I, I can't imagine what they've sent over the past year. Oh, no. Yeah. So 
uh, please stop me if you don't want to get into any anything too detailed. But I'm I'm oh, curious yeah. when you start a channel like this in general. So maybe you could just speak generally on this topic. But for anyone out there who doesn't know, is the tech the payment, or it, do you also have a deal with some of these companies? Are they also sponsoring the video, for example? Right. So I believe for myself, if if it was in a fantasy world, I would say no, that that's not the payment. Um, if it was a sponsored video, I would not count the tech towards the payment. Mm-hmm. Um, I would want that that sponsorship fee in addition to whatever tech they're going to send me to showcase in the video. I believe, you, can, you know, don't quote me here, but I'm 99% certain that any sort of review samples, things like this that come in for a channel like mine would be considered income, I believe. Mm-hmm. So um, that's sort of kind of where that lies. Um, like I said, for me personally, I don't consider it a payment myself. Like I don't, like if they send me something it, because they're giving it to me, doesn't change the way I'm going to speak about it or anything. But yeah, then there are some companies where um, if they want to work with me and have a sponsorship or anything like that, which I'm completely open to, I don't have anybody like that at the moment. So there's nobody sponsoring my content at this time. Um, I've had it before, but more than anything else, disclosure is is the most important thing with your audience, being honest about it, being honest about how you receive products and things of that nature. It, it hurts my um, audience retention, but I still include a disclosure within the first 60 seconds of my videos to make sure that I'm very, being very open with my viewers about how I got a product, if I bought it, if it was sent to me, if this video sponsored the whole thing. But that's something that people should at least you know, keep that in the forefront. Quick question about that. So you actually saying that? Yes. Um, so how long does that disclaimer take to um, read? Or, or Usually say? about 20 seconds-ish, which I wish it would be shorter. I had it shorter, but it did not feel, I didn't feel like I was covering my butt, so to speak, clearly enough. And that's one thing where I want to make sure that if down the line, whoever it is, FTC or whoever decides that they want to crack down, that they can't go into my old content and say, ha, you did not verbally disclose. Well, yes, I did. All of my videos. So, so do you have to verbally disclose? Because I was thinking, can you just not put um, a script in the, you know, some text in one of the corners of a... People were doing that, but apparently when, at least the way that I interpreted the guidelines was that a verbal disclosure was required. Okay. Mm, yeah. And a, and a written one in the uh, video description. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that include hitting the paid promotion button if it is in fact a, a paid promotion yeah. video? Yeah. If it's a sponsored video, I'm definitely hitting that button. hundred percent. But, but you're, then you're also giving the verbal. Kind of, oh, not? yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of creators. The problem with, with YouTube is not that I'm doing too much. It's that most creators are not doing it correctly and they're not disclosing things to their audience. There's some really good ones that do, but there's so many others that just don't. And I know, like, I know for a fact that they're being paid, that they're being sponsored, but they're not saying it. And that to me is just like, it's not my place to call them out. That's not what I'm here to do, but it's just one of those things that it perpetuates the problem. Um, where I want to normalize it for audiences to hear us say stuff like, Hey, this video is sponsored by so-and-so, or, Hey, this is how I got this product or whatever it is. I want to make sure that audiences are accustomed to that stuff. I don't want them to think, Hey, yeah. So they sent me this, you know, product for review. And then they think I'm a paid shill. I'm like, at least I'm being honest with you. I'm telling you, I'm being open with you. Think about all the ones who aren't telling you anything. So you can name names. This is a safe space. (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's i mean that's that's just one of those one of those things but when do you think 
or maybe this will never happen. Is there any point that you will try niching out? You did mention earlier that low ceiling. You feel like there's only so far you can go with this content. That's basically what that means. Can you hit 100,000 subscribers? You can reach all your goals making this kind of content. And with that in mind, do you feel there's a point where you will take this channel and try and pivot a little bit to a more broad tech focus? Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. So that was really the the main goal um, when I was being advised also to to niche down that was one of the one of my pushbacks was like well i love doing audio and i love doing earbuds and headphones and stuff but that's not all i want to talk about you know i want to be able to talk about keyboards or cell phones or cameras or tablets or tvs i want to be able to talk about the stuff because i'm general you know genuinely an enthusiast about this kind of stuff and basically the goal was to get the channel to not necessarily a hundred thousand subscribers but to the point where I can see it in the numbers, where I can do a test video about something completely outside of my niche and see how my core audience responds. And if they respond well, then I start getting a temperature like, okay, out of 60,000 subs, you know, 3,000 of them will show up for anything that I drop. You know, and initially when I did my first test of that was around 20, 25,000, I got maybe 600 views on a video. I was like, okay, well now I know who shows up and who doesn't. And when I did a recent test was around 48 or 49,000. I ended up that video I thought was going to tank like less than a thousand views. And I think it's sitting at like eight or 9,000 views now. Hmm. So that's a, that's a much stronger signal. Even in initially in the first seven days, it pulled, I think, you know, something like three or 4,000 views, which is completely unexpected. So that's where um, I'm starting to notice that it's starting to get to that point where I believe maybe six months to a year, I should be able to start, repeat you know regularly dropping content outside of audio where it can be a monitor a television a cell phone a watch whatever just you know it could be a pc it doesn't matter um but i'll have enough of a core audience that that will still keep my views anywhere between say five and ten thousand views which will make me happy that i'm at least giving you know uh, a manufacturer or a company some return on their investment for sending me a sample Return viewers, folks. That's the metric you want to be checking out when you do those sorts of experiments. Yep. Dan, if you don't mind, I just want to go back to um, money for a second. Yeah. For a yeah. question. I like money. You, allude, you alluded to this oh, about 20 minutes ago now, Jeff, um, when you were talking about what I assumed was affiliate income in terms mm -hmm. of you've built up a community to a point where your audience trusts you to um, with their purchasing decisions. Right. Now, we're recording this at the back end of August. Uh, certainly for you and other tech channels, we're getting into a critical point of the year. Yep. And this question is based off of the assumption, I don't know whether this is true or not, but I assume it is, that AdSense is a pittance of your YouTube income. So the question is, how do you create content and build an audience that is willing to trust you and to click on links on your in your video descriptions to buy the products that you're talking about? I think more than anything, building the audience is establishing trust. And the the difficult thing about it is you have to be both the good guy and the bad guy in a sense. So you have to be willing to praise things, but you also have to be willing to criticize things. And, and not in a negative sense, which I've done, and that's not something that I'm super proud of, but now I like to take a different approach to it where I will give you know, very stern, constructive criticism 
to companies in videos to make sure that it's very clear to the audience. And then I'll very clearly state at this time, I do not recommend this. Um, you, you should not buy this. And that's one of the things that really I don't like about YouTube is that if you say something is bad, you're a hero, whether true or not, you're a hero. Everybody comes in. Oh my God, thank you. You're the only one who's speaking the truth and oh, all this and that. But if you turn around and say, yeah, this is great then people are assuming that you're being paid off and all this stuff. So it's really a, it's a messed up thing. I, I don't like doing it too often and I don't take advantage of it. If there's genuinely something wrong, then I'll do that. But that's really how you begin to build that trust, especially with viewers who've watched you for a long time. They see, yeah, you know, um, Jeff, when something's bad, he calls it out. And if something's good, he calls it out. And a lot of times, even on products that I will recommend, I make sure that they know here's the good, here's the bad. Now it's up to you to decide if this combination of good and bad is going to work for you. So um, that's really where that trust begins to build. And then when they actually go and buy the stuff and they see, you know, I get a lot of return comments uh, where they're like, man, you know, I took a chance. I bought the thing you recommended and these are awesome. I can't believe it. These are great. And then six months later, they'll come back. Hey, I, I took a chance again and bought this new one. And wow, you are not wrong, man. I freaking love them. So that's where it really starts to build. And I think people start seeing those comments in the comment section of my videos of people like, dude, you were so right. I can't believe it. And I love when people do that because it builds more of that trust within the community. And then that translates into, into conversions where when I negotiate with the company, I have more leverage because I can say, I can, I can show them the data. You know, I can show them the data of how much traffic I can drive via link, uh, you know, uh, links being clicked. And then I can show them the corresponding conversion rates for that particular product. Or I can show them the messages from brands when, if I recommend their product and their Amazon store sells out. And they're just like, oh man, we, are, we weren't ready for you to drop that video. Like we're completely out of stock now. So, you know, that's that's something that really, really helps, you know, um, on the on the monetary side of it, because then I can negotiate a higher rate if if I want to. But that, that definitely works. And, and you're right, as far as AdSense goes, it is, the lower end of, of YouTube for sure. You know, where tech channels, it gets stronger as we get towards Christmas, towards shopping season. Um, it does CPM and RPM builds up towards that time, but we're still on average, you know, anywhere between six and maybe $12 where other, you know, other channels, you know, real estate, finance, web hosting, stuff like that, or, you know, they're, they're crushing it. But, where we're doing is with high conversion affiliates, you know, with affiliate sales, it's, you know, usually an order of three to six times more than what I'm making from AdSense. So it's something that's very powerful and it took a long time to build. You know, I remember getting my first, uh, you know, 20, 30, $40 here and there from Amazon to where that's, you know, fast forward four years later and every month it's in the thousands. You know, and I can, and that's just me. And I'm, I'm still playing chump change because some of the creators that I talk to who are really like hardcore affiliate guys, uh, you know, they're pulling in, you know, some five, sometimes six digits on a monthly basis. And when I see that stuff, I'm like, that's insane. But they've built up over years. They've been at this, you know, eight, nine years versus me only doing it for four, but it can be very lucrative on both ends. And there's no reason why you can't help people and get paid at the same time. There's no reason why you can't do that. So that's, that's one of the things where I always want to make that distinction for people because they think that if you're getting paid, then it's, there's there, it's a negative, 
Like you obviously you're you're lying if you're being paid. And it's like, no, that's that's not the case here. You can still earn money and support your family, but still help people. You can still have some morality in this. What would you say would be your your number one bit of advice for a YouTuber who was who was interested, who was looking to get super hyper focused on one topic for their channel, at least starting it? Um, the bit of advice that I would say would be to make sure that if you're going to hyper focus on something, make sure that it's something that you're passionate about. And hopefully, hopefully that passion is also something that people want to watch. So it, th there has to be, you have to find that, that middle of that Venn diagram of what are the things I'm passionate about? What are the things that are popular that people actually care about and want to search for and watch? If you can find that middle ground then that's really where you want to laser focus yourself. For me, it was true wireless earbuds. That's really what built my channel to what it is now. And that was the middle of the Venn diagram of one of my many passions around technology and things that people want to watch in the tech community on YouTube. So hopefully you can find that middle ground of something you're passionate about and something that people actually want to watch. And my final question is, what would you say is the threshold for a budget true wireless earbud? Is it like $20 or less, $50 or less? Um, well, I think what we consider budget is anything under 100 What we, What would be your recommendation, the best true wireless earbuds under $100? So it's always fluid and it's always changing because there's so many products coming out. Um, right now, if I had to make a recommendation, um, there was a, a product that was launched about a month ago on Kickstarter, but it is going to be now readily available on Amazon as well. It's by a company called Edifier, and they're known for their bookshelf speakers. That's what they're known for. And they do headphones and earbuds as well. And these are called the NeoBuds Pro. The value that they give you for um, 99 ish dollars, are, they're going to be priced somewhere between 99 and 129 is incredible. For, for what they're delivering, the hardware, the sound quality, all of the features, noise cancellation, app support, just even uh, one of the most important things is also a, a noticeable improvement in call quality and microphone quality. So you can make phone calls in noisy environments. You can take Zoom calls. So a lot of that stuff. So for what they are, if hopefully they'll price them at 99 like they've been on um, Kickstarter, then that's really going to be the one to go with under 100 bucks. And money, no object? Money is no object. It's a little bit tougher, but it just depends on what your personal needs are. For most people, um, they're probably going to go with something like the Sony XM4 earbuds, the WF-1000 XM4. Sadly, their microphone performance is not that great. But yeah, they're, they're an excellent option as an all-arounder. Hashtag not sponsored, <laughs> but if you do wish to purchase these earbuds, then if you visit El Jefe's channel, find the appropriate video and click on the appropriate affiliate link, uh, then enjoy. Do we need to put in a disclaimer, Dan, for, for that roundabout way of making a sale for Jeff? <laughs> I, I guess so. Now, I'll, I'll forget, though, so this is going to be awesome. <laughs> well, it's your podcast. It's not my problem. See ya. Great. Great. I, I was going to ask if if you could only have one pair of headphones ever, the rest are going to get wiped off the face of the earth. Which would you choose? Oh, I'd probably have to take something most likely for me. It would probably have to be the, if they're wireless, I would have to probably go with the Sennheiser momentum three. They're over ear. 
but sound quality is excellent. They're built like a tank. Their noise canceling is not as strong as Sony, but what they bring you in, in sheer sound quality and delight to listen to, uh, easily worth it. I'll tell you what we should do, Dan. Um, we should ask everybody right now, what earbuds or earphones are they using to listen to this podcast, hashtag Tube Talk on Twitter, and we will get Jeff to review every single <laughs> earpods or whatever that are mentioned in Twitter. That was in a contract, Jeff, I believe. I don't that's know it. if you read the small, small print, but that's one of the commitments <laughs> you've so, given to us right now. Very robust contract if you want to be on Tube Talk, by the that's way, right. just for anyone out there who's interested. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for for joining us, and thanks for helping us figure out the headphone apocalypse we've just created now. <laughs> we now have the three recommendations for budget, infinite money, and last headphones on Earth, which is awesome. That's right, man. <laughs> I appreciate you guys having me on, man. All right. Thank you so much. See you, everybody. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tube Talk, brought to you by vidIQ. Head over to vidIQ.com slash Tube Talk for today's show notes and previous episodes. Enjoy the rest of your video making day.